Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Thanks for tuning in to this Sunday podcast. Today's an important show. You know I've been all over this January 6th bomber case and the attempted assassination of VP-elect Kamala Harris, which is a really big deal. I believe it's the biggest scandal of our time because there's clearly a monster cover-up going on. A lot to get to today. First, let me get to our first sponsor. Folks, Beam's Dream Powder. I love it. I'm still trying to have a bit of a rough time sleeping. Obviously, you can tell last night I was out. I, I took my Beam Dream Powder. It's great stuff. It's poor sleep negatively impacting your life. You tried other sleep supplements with no success. Embrace the importance of a restful slumber like I had last night. Introduce yourself to an amazing product I love. It'll revolutionize your nighttime routine, and it tastes freaking amazing. <laughs> it's Beam's Dream Powder, a hot cocoa for sleep that could transform your nights. If you know me, you know Dream's been a game changer for my sleep. And today, my listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder. Their science-backed hot cocoa for sleep but no added sugar. Better sleep has never tasted better. Listen, other sleep aids cause that next-day drowsiness. A lot of them dream. Contains a powerful, all-natural blend. And I encourage you to look this stuff up. Reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, apigenin, and melatonin. Help you fall asleep like that. Stay asleep, wake up, refresh, feel great like I do today. Just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk. That's how I use it, milk. And enjoy before bedtime. If you want to try Beam's best-selling dream powder, get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash Bongino and use code Bongino at checkout. That's shop. B-E-A-M dot com slash Bongino and use code Bongino for up to 40% off. First up is our interview with Darren Beatty, who broke this story in Revolver News. He's been all over this. He had so much information. I can only get to the first question, which is kind of funny. I had to have him back a couple of times. But you'll see his answer was so extensive. We almost didn't need question two. Take a listen. All right, folks, you know I, uh, I consider one of the Biggest insults you can lob my way is to call me a journalist uh, because sadly there are very few journalists left and they've destroyed the term and what it actually means. But there are some people out there actually doing journalism, meaning gathering facts of interest uh, and putting them out there in an honest manner for you to form your own opinions. You got Julie Kelly, you've got Schellenberger, and you've got this guy. He's an amazing reporter. He runs the site Revolver News. His name's Darren Beatty. He's joining us today. He has one of the most explosive pieces I've heard in a long time in Revolver. Darren, thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you, Dan. Great to be back with you. You got it. So Darren has a piece out. I strongly encourage you to go there. It's in Revolver News. It's called Secret Service Foreknowledge or Criminal Negligence, Damning New Evidence Services in the FBI's January 6th Pipe Bomb Story. Piece is worth your time. Darren, let's go through this uh, bit by bit. The piece is, like I said, a bombshell. Uh, there's so many open questions. The first one I have for you is uh, if, if there was a Secret Service sweep going on, and you know, again, I did this for a decade, uh, 12 years of my life, the night before January 5th, and this subject at the DNC placed this bomb out there, and we know there was a camera there because you have the camera footage embedded in your piece. You can watch it yourself. Why don't we have video of the sweep? Well, that's a great question. Um, I think there is video of the sweep. I think that the Capitol Police footage that exhibits the DNC bomb being found, that's the subject of this recent story, that would give a perfect view of the sweep. It's just that we don't have that 
public, but there's so many other questions. So if I can just go through this sequentially. Yeah, please. Um, the, the video that we have released, it's not part of that, you know, Mike Johnson thing. This was a special request um, by Thomas Massey that he had to put tremendous pressure on Kevin McCarthy, who finally released just seven minutes, but there's seven decisive minutes. They depict an individual we now know to be an undercover, a plainclothes Capitol Police officer, walk up to the Secret Service detail at the DNC, inform them of the presence of the pipe bomb, and here's the crazy thing. And you can see this from the video. So go to revolver.news or go to my Twitter feed. You can see the video and walk along as I'm describing it. After being informed that there's an explosive device within feet of themselves, their protectee, Kamala Harris, and passersby, they exhibit zero concern. The lackadaisical nature in which they react after being informed of this is simply astonishing. It takes them over a minute to even bother to get out of their vehicles, after which point they're just lounging around without a care in the world. In one of the most explosive clips, there's a group of children that they allow to cross the street and walk within feet of the benches where there's this live bomb. They're standing around it. These children are standing around it. Not a care in the world. And then a Capitol Police officer walks right up to the bomb takes a picture, gives a thumbs up sign, and then finally, they all scramble to get the heck out of there. Now, then the video ends. I'm informed very reliably by high, you know, sources that have access to the full footage who have seen this footage. Just minutes after that, a bomb safe robot comes in to dismantle and defuse the bomb. So the bomb is considered safe enough for whatever reason that the Secret Service is unconcerned for themselves, unconcerned for Kamala Harris, unconcerned for those children, and yet somehow it becomes so dangerous as to require a bomb-safe dog, uh, a bomb-safe robot to dismantle. The question is, how did the Secret Service know that the bomb was fake? Either they're the most negligent people and, and totally unconcerned for their own safety, or somehow they knew it was fake, which I think is clearly the case. But then the question is, how did the Secret Service know that the bomb there was fake? Now, let's compound that with the fact that we're talking about Secret Service. Again, they were there to protect Kamala Harris, who was then the VP elect, which raises the question. Kamala Harris is one of the most politically opportunistic creatures on this earth. Why would she forego the opportunity to milk this politically? The fact that she came within a hair's width of losing her life to this ostensible MAGA pipe bomb. Why would Joe Biden, who thinks January 6th is a 9-11 scale event, who took the occasion of the third anniversary to give this long droned out speech about the dangers of January 6th, why would he neglect to mention that his own vice president almost lost her life to the MAGA pipe bomb. Think of how damning and how embarrassing the truth actually has to be for them to cover that up so aggressively against all political interest. Now add to this, as you pointed out, the surveillance footage. Well, almost as bizarre as the fact that the Secret Service responded with total unconcern to be informed of the bomb, is the fact that the bomb wasn't discovered in the first place by 
passersby. It was planted the evening before and was laying out there fairly conspicuously for over 17 hours. No motorists saw it. No pedestrians on a very high foot traffic day saw it. The regularly stationed DNC security guard didn't see it, and the cherry on top, the Whopper, the Secret Service missed it in a sweep that they're on record as having conducted. So all of these people missed it for 17 hours, and then magically this plainclothes officer discovers it at 1.05, and the Secret Service clearly knows it's fake. Now let's get even deeper into the rabbit hole. So this was discovered at 1.05. This is scarcely 15 minutes after the first pipe bomb was discovered under equally implausible circumstances. The first pipe bomb was discovered in a, behind a trash can in a back alley by the Capitol Hill Club. It was discovered, we're told, by a random pedestrian, Carlin Younger, who says that she found it at 12.40 p.m. She found it at 12.40 p.m. She went to the security guard at the Capitol Hill Club, who incidentally was a former Capitol Police guy, and the Capitol Police begin responding to this first bomb at 12.50. The decisive initial attack on the west perimeter of the Capitol happened at 12.53. Three minutes after Capitol Police respond to this pipe bomb. gets even better. Carlin Younger claims that she discovered this pipe bomb at 12.40, and it has a mechanical timer that was stuck with 20 minutes left on the dial. So let's do the math. 12.40 plus 20, 1 o'clock. That is when the certification of the vote proceeding was to begin in Congress. So when she discovered it, it was perfectly aligned with the notion that the bomb was set to go off at 1 p.m. So think. let's step back and just digest how crazy this coincidence is. This first bomb was planted the evening before. It was sitting behind a trash can in a back alley, undiscovered for over 16 hours, and then it's discovered by a random person with near exact synchronicity with both the certification of the vote and the attack on the west perimeter of the Capitol. The timing of this is so striking that the former head of the Capitol Police, Stephen Sun, said, look, these bombs were not planted to go off. They were planted to have a diversionary effect to divert resources away from the Capitol as the attack on the Capitol unfolded, which seems plausible enough, especially because equipped with a mechanical kitchen timer with at most an hour and planted right. the evening before, if they were meant to go off, they would have gone off the evening before and it would amount to nothing. So, and plus the timing of their discovery, it's, it definitely suggests diversion, but the only problem with that is how would this pipe bomber have counted on having the luck that these bombs would be sitting around there for 16, 17 hours undiscovered and then magically both independently discovered by random pedestrian on one side and a plainclothes officer on the other side within a 15-minute window that corresponded exactly with the unfolding of the attack on the Capitol? Is this pipe bomber just the luckiest person alive that he could count on that happening? Or is there something more beyond that mere coincidence? And that's something that I'll leave as an exercise for the audience. Well, I, I've done the same thing because I, I don't 
get out ahead of things I don't know. Um, I, I just, Darren, there's just one, one thing on my mind, again, having a decade plus of actually doing these and overseeing and supervising security sweeps. Uh, there, there's no way they miss that. There's no way the Secret Service, the January 6th, the morning of, you figure a building that size, given my experience in the space, Kamala Harris going there, and obviously that day EOD teams are going to be at a premium. Uh, there's people around. It's you know you got DC. It's always tough to get a team. That would have taken, based on that space, probably upwards of maximum three to four hours. So you figure that morning, the earliest they probably would have gotten there is eight a.m. The bomb, according to the FBI stories, clearly been sitting there for hours by eight a.m. on January sixth. I'm telling you, there's no way. They miss it. It doesn't happen. And here's my other problem. And I, I got a few minutes left. I'd like you to, to just address this. The Secret Service director at the time and the people running the show are, are, are good guys. Like, they're, you know, they're people who are, like, definitely aligned and we're not Trump enemies at all. Mm-hmm. So, that, to me, it's highly unlikely, like, they were read in on any kind of a plot or anything like that. But it's clear to me that the FBI has to be lying about the story Because there's no way there was a bomb there. There's simply no way a skilled EOD team and a canine dog misses it. Well, either they were lying about having swept it in the first place, because clearly the Secret Service people who were informed by the undercover Capitol Hill guy, clearly they knew for whatever reason the bomb was fake. Otherwise, it's the most flagrant violation of protocol, not only, you know, to not protect their protectee, but for them to completely unconcerned stand within feet of this pipe bomb and to let children walk right by it suggests that they knew it was fake. So the question is, how would they have known that? Now, the strangeness of this all, not only their reaction to that, but the fact that it was undiscovered for so long, including um, by this uh, Secret Service sweep that they claimed that was conducted, that led us to question, is your question now, was it actually planted when they said it was? Now, we had our investigators on that. We've been on every dimension of this for like years. And one of the big stories that yeah. we published a little over a year ago was we looked into the surveillance footage and we proved definitively that the FBI is withholding footage from a camera whose angle would show whether or not the pipe bomber actually planted the bomb when they said it was. That we know it's in their possession and they're hiding it and they haven't said why. And secondly, we show that the surveillance footage is tampered with, with a frame rate of 1.6 frames per second. The worst commercially available surveillance cameras, the kind of cameras you'll find if you go on a road trip and stop at the most dilapidated middle of nowhere gas station, that gas station is going to have a camera with a frame rate of eight frames per second. So somehow we're supposed to believe the DNC went to an antique store to find one of the three <laughs> remaining surveillance cameras in the country with, an, with a frame rate of 1.6 frames per second. And for some reason, the only footage that the FBI has released to the public of those benches when the pipe bomber was there allegedly planting the bomb, that footage comes from the DNC. That footage no comes sense, from the Darren. DNC. Darren, I only got like 30 seconds left. I I just want to make sure. Revolver News, Secret Service Foreknowledge or Criminal Negligence by Darren Beattie. The story's from January 18th. It is probably the most explosive story, folks, you're going to read this year. I make no effort at hyperbole at all. 
Uh, Darren, um, maybe we could have you back later in the week. So I haven't even gotten a question two through seven. Hundred percent. No, would you would you yeah, mind? There's a lot Jim's going to set that up. Yeah, awesome. we, I haven't even scratched the service. And, and folks, I feel like I'm doing you a disservice if I don't ask him this other stuff. Darren, great work, though. I'm sorry I got to run. We'll definitely do this again later in the week, folks. Uh, sorry about that. That's I great. just thank Darren's you. So you got it, brother. Darren's it's fascinating on this, and this story's huge. And I don't want to just be like, Darren, I got 10 seconds left to answer all these questions. I'm going to work. Up next is part two with Darren Beatty. But let me get to my next sponsor. Resolving to eat healthier this year, it was easy. Actually doing it, not so easy. Folks, listen, it's a new year. I hope you watched my special with Gary Brecka, by the way, about all those uh, people loved it, about all the life hacks. My biggest life hack, I kid you not, is Field of Greens. Field of Greens, I, I've known these guys at Brickhouse Nutrition for the longest time. They were mine and Joe's first sponsor. This is a super healthy fruit and vegetable powder. It tastes delicious. I absolutely swear by it. I cannot say enough about the product. Yes, they're a sponsor, folks. It doesn't even matter. At your next checkup, your doctor could notice your improved health or your money back on Field of Greens. Do your vitamins or green drinks promise better health? Probably not. Field of Greens does. Each super fruit and vegetable in Field of Greens was doctor selected for a specific health benefit. I absolutely swear by this stuff. I would show you my blood work if it didn't have my personal information on it. You'll see what I mean. I'm going to be 50 this year. I just turned 49. Folks, look, if you resolve to get healthier in 2024, it starts, period, with Field of Greens. Everybody knows fruits and vegetables are the key to a healthier lifestyle. I got you 15% off your first order and free rush shipping. All I ask is you go to BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Use promo code Dan. That's promo code Dan at BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Pick up Field of Greens today. BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Pick it up today. We talked to Darren the next day so I could get to more questions about what he uncovered. Check this out. All right, because yesterday's interview was so fascinating. This is actually the first time this has ever happened, right, Jim? Uh, Darren Beatty, who writes for Revolver News, has an amazing piece up. Uh, about the just insane January 6th bomber case, which I'm going to say in advance makes absolutely no sense. So yesterday we had so many questions for him. I said, Darren, I got to have you back. So let's not waste any time. Darren is back. Darren Beatty, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thrilled to be back. Thank you. Your piece is incredible. Again, it's up at Revolver News. It's about the January 6th infamous bombing case. Kamala Harris is at the DNC on January 6th. There is an alleged, quote, viable bomb discovered outside while she's inside. We don't find that out till later. Let's start there, Darren. What the hell was Kamala Harris doing at the DNC on the biggest day of her life where it's just 20 something minutes away from her being certified as the vice president elect? Why was she at the DNC and not up on the Capitol? You know, forgive me, but that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. That's a fantastic question, Dan. I think we covered it a little bit, but it's worth repeating almost ad infinitum because the January 6th scandal, the hoax of January 6th, and specifically the hoax of the pipe bomb, seems to implicate in some fashion Kamala Harris herself. And the question of what she was doing in the DNC is directly related to another, and I think even more damning question is, why did she keep that secret? You know, we've right. talked about how politically opportunistic Kamala Harris is. The fact is, and so many elements 
of the January 6th story are just ridiculously exaggerated to the point of absurdity. And yet here we have the one element, namely pipe bombs, which incidentally, the U.S. government technically considers pipe bombs to be weapons of mass destruction. So here we have the explosive devices, the most domestic terror-like aspect of January 6th by far, and it turns out that Kamala Harris comes within a hair's width of these pipe bombs, and yet instead of milking that for all it's worth, she keeps it secret and still hasn't acknowledged it to this day, leading the public to believe that she was in the Capitol. In fact, this is crazy, in several indictments of other January Sixers, the DOJ included the false information that Kamala Harris was in the Capitol, and she did not correct them on that matter. It only leaked out almost a year after January 6th that she was in the DNC building, and so her decision to cover this up would be one thing if the Democrats had moved on from January 6th, but they're making the false domestic terror aspect of January 6th a central pillar of their 2024 strategy, a central pillar of their legal strategy to remove Trump from the ballot. It's so strange that, for instance, Joe Biden, who thinks J6 is important enough to give a long droned out speech on the third anniversary, think about this. He neglects to mention that his own vice president came within a right. hair's width of losing her life to this mega pipe bomb. How dark and dirty and embarrassing does the truth have to be for them to cover that up and against their political interest in, in that respect? And of course, we spoke yesterday about this Capitol Police footage of the DNC bomb being discovered. The Secret Service is informed they have zero concern whatsoever. They clearly know the bomb is a dud. How did they know the bomb is a dud? This is Kamala Harris's Secret Service detail. The same Secret Service that somehow managed, at least, you know, according to their report, they swept the building prior to Kamala's arrival. So not only do we have the mystery as to how the Secret Service managed to miss it in the sweep in the first place, we have the equally strange, perhaps even more strange, mystery as to how did they know that the bomb was fake such that immediately after being informed of it, they exhibit no concern to the point that they even allow a group of school children to cross the street right within feet of the bomb itself. So yeah. that puts us in a very strange position in relation, and believe it or not, the more that one learns about the pipe bomb case, the worse it gets, because we haven't even spoken about that first pipe bomb that was discovered in a back alley by the Capitol Hill Club. Darren, we're talking to Darren Beatty from Revolver News about his uh, incredible piece about the January 6th uh, bombing case. Check him out at Revolver News. It's a really terrific site. Darren, I know you're an actual journalist, which is few, I mean, really few and far between these days. And uh, forgive me for asking, I know you don't like to speculate, but th th I feel almost an obligation to not leave the audience out there with all this mm -hmm. information. I mean, we have facts we can it, it do informed speculation on. What you said is correct. Kamala Harris was at the DNC. They hid that fact for a long time. I believe it came out in a Department of Justice filing later, and it was kind of mm -hmm. like glossed over. 
The uh, January 6th committee report only mentions the so-called bombing incident in an appendix. Uh, We never hear anything about it by the left-wing media eager to forward an insurrection narrative. These are all facts. Nobody disputes those. The only logical explanation you can gather from that is that this may have been an attempt to frame the MAGA crowd as insurrectionists if, say, something else went bad. Say you wanted to do A to make it look like an insurrection. A didn't work out. Well, we've got this backup plan. We're going to leave these bombs out in front of the RNC and the DNC, and we're going to magically discover them. Oh, look, while Kamala Harris is there, and she's not telling me she's there. And maybe they didn't need that plan, or certain people weren't read in. But nothing else seems to make sense when you do Occam's Razor here. Well, I think it's actually a lot worse than that. Um, and, you know, you asked about speculation. This is going to be highly informed speculation, and I'll just put the facts on the table first. I was about to get into the discovery of the first pipe bomb, and here's where the timeline really, I think, reveals the whole plot. So the first pipe bomb is discovered at 12.40 p.m. by a random pedestrian, we're told, Carlin Younger. She discovers it at 12.40. She goes to, again, in a, a behind a trash can in a back alley by the Capitol Hill Club. She goes into the Capitol Hill Club and forms an officer there who just happens to be a veteran of the Capitol Police, incidentally, and who reports the pipe bomb through the Capitol Police channels rather than the regular police channels. The Capitol Police begin responding to this first bomb at 12.50 p.m., That is three minutes before that initial and infamous first decisive assault on the West Perimeter of the Capitol, the assault that incidentally involves Ray Epps, that iconic footage by the bike rack, the thing that kicked everything off by the Peace Monument. That was 12.53, three minutes after the Capitol Police began responding to this first pipe bomb. Furthermore, Carlin Younger mentioned that when she found this first bomb at 1240, it had a mechanical kitchen timer that could have been set to an hour, but it had 20 minutes left. So let's do the math. Found it at 1240, 20 minutes left, 1240 plus 20 minutes, that's one o'clock. That's right when the certification of the vote proceeding was to begin. So we're supposed to believe that this first pipe bomb, which again was planted the evening before, was sitting there hidden behind a trash can in a back alley for over 16 hours, only to be randomly discovered by a woman effectively to the exact minute as to be perfectly synchronized, not only with the certification of the vote proceeding, but with that initial decisive attack on the Capitol. And then we have this video of the plainclothes Capitol Police officer who discovers the second DNC pipe bomb after, again, the bomb had been sitting there undiscovered for 17 hours. All of a sudden, at 1.05, the DNC bomb is discovered and the Secret Service clearly know it's fake. It's discovered at 1.05. That's scarcely 15 minutes, by the way, after the first one was found. So both of these bombs are sitting out there for 16 to 17 hours undiscovered, and then just magically, separately happened to be discovered within a 15-minute 
time frame that perfectly coincides with the unfolding of the attack on the Capitol. The synchronicity here was so striking and so profound that the dominant theory of the case um, espoused by Steve Sun, the former head of the Capitol Police, among many others, is that the bombs were never supposed to go off. They were intended to have a diversionary effect to divert resources from the Capitol as the Capitol was being attacked, which seems plausible enough. The only question is, how could the pipe bomber have counted on a random woman named Carlin Younger and a plainclothes Capitol Police officer finding those bombs, the, the bombs not being found for 16, 17 hours, and then both of them being found within a 15-minute window exactly coinciding with the attack on the Capitol, such as to have the diversionary effect. Is this pipe bomber the luckiest guy in the world? Is this Nostradamus? <laughs> Did he have some vision? How does that add up? How does that hey, add up? Darren, I, I, got, I only got a few minutes left, but I got to get your take on this because no one has a better kind of flavor for the media ecosystem than you uh, and being you on the receiving end of a lot of attacks. The media finds themselves in a real kind of dilemma here. The media is going to call you and me conspiracy theorists for asking these questions. But the irony of that, Darren, in the next two minutes is we're not we're begging you to ask the same questions we are. So they can't cover this without acknowledging it happened while they're refusing yeah. to acknowledge it happened, which is creating a problem. Right. Because well, you and I yeah. are not conspiracy theorists. We're like, please, media people help us get these answers and they won't do it. No, we, we've we've been. Right on this, we've been at the cutting edge of this in a way that no, I don't even call it mainstream, I say domesticated and regime-friendly media source has been. Their overwhelming objective up to this point has been to ghettoize this reporting because of how subversive it is and how much they have at stake in the Fed's direction narrative. It's gone to the point now that we're at escape velocity and they are freaking out and they are brainstorming a damage control plan. And I'll tell you, I'm very confident what this is going to be. They understand that they can't keep this under wraps for much longer. It's going to come out one way or another. It's just that escape velocity. That's how it is. And they're not stupid. They understand that. So I suspect what they're going to do is, first of all, they can't give Revolver News legitimacy because... If we are credited with breaking this huge story, which is going to be the biggest scandal of the year, they can't give us the legitimacy that spills over into the other things we've covered and to the things we'll cover in the future because that's too dangerous. So if it's going to come out, they have to give parts of this story to more domesticated, regime-friendly journalists, and those will be the ones that the mainstream media, if it gets to the point that they have to hold their nose and talk about this at all, they'll cite these other sources. So we're still the conspiracy theorists, even though we've been talking about this forever and we were right. That's how they're gonna play it. They're also going to massage the narrative in a manner consistent with a limited hangout, such as to only give what they absolutely have to give and massage it and try to cordon it off to the other areas of January 6th. But they cannot cordon off the, the pipe bomb issue. As, you know, the pipe bomb issue as itself is the biggest scandal in the country. But they can't contain it. The smoking gun, again, is the synchronicity between the discovery of the pipe bombs 
and that assault on the West Perimeter of the Capitol. They were perfectly timed. And in fact, Donnell Harvin, an individual who used to run the Homeland Security Fusion Center for D.C., his office, strangely enough, predicted that there would be explosives set on side streets to distract from the Capitol wow, at around 1 p.m. What a, what a crazy coincidence that is. Darren, Ray unfortunately, Epps I got to run. I, oh, okay. sorry. I'm, I'm really at it. I'm sorry. I'm like really at it. The computer's going to cut us off, and I don't want the audience to think I was being rude. Darren, I, I'm, I'm considering this. I think we should have you back again later in the week. I've got more questions. Up next is a fantastic journalist, Julie Kelly, on this story. She's been all over it, too. Let me get to our next sponsor and then right to Julie. Do you know that a high percentage of life-saving antibiotics that are used by our neighbors, friends, and family members come from outside the U.S.? We could be depending on a supply chain from China to save people we love. You know how scary that is? Listen, don't get caught unprepared. Paul and I spent more time than I care to really admit in the show researching the best way to keep our family prepared in the event of an emergency. A lot. I, I think it's my kind of prior line of work. I'm not getting caught in an emergency. Water, food. Most important medication. This is Jace Medical. This is my pack. You can see there are life-saving medicines in here. Comes with a guidebook too. Jace Medical. This is a pack of essential antibiotics to help treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, GI infections, sinusitis, skin infections, and others. Jace Medical. Here's the pack right here. Visit Jace. It's J-A-S-E. J-A-S-E. JaceMedical.com. Fill out a quick form. I did it like that for you and your family and review the terms. Your form will be reviewed by a board-certified physician. And if you're eligible, your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. And you will be prepared. Don't forget to use my promo code Bongino at checkout. My last name for an extra discount. Jace Medical, indispensable product for your life. Jace Medical and his products are not intended as a substitute for professional medical treatment or advice. Consult with your healthcare provider. Again, jacemedical.com, J-A-S-E medical.com. Go today. Please don't wait. Julie's done great work on this. She brought up something that blew my mind. It was about the Secret Service text, something I'd completely forgotten about when I was conducting this interview with her. But it's super important as I've dived into it my show. Take a listen. All right, let's get right to it. One of the uh, few actual journalists left, along with Darren Beatty and Schellenberger and Steve Baker and others who've been covering the events surrounding January 6th. And what could be one of the, uh, and I do not mean this exaggerating for effect, one of the biggest scandals in modern U.S. history, the events surrounding that day, is uh, the great Julie Kelly. She's also the author of the book. A bunch of people asked me uh, questions about her last interview. They said, what's the title of the book? They said, it's about January 6th. I said, January 6th. They said, no, I know. What's the title? I said, that is the title. January 6th. That's the title. It's not a who's on first thing. So the title of our book by Julie Kelly, I promise you, is January 6th. <laughs> Go pick it up. I'm serious, Julie. Everybody asks me. They think it's like some kind of like, like joke I'm pulling at. It's called January 6th. It's very simple. Julie, thank you for joining us. You have an amazing piece up in Declassified today. It's your blog. It's uh, linked to at mybungino.com. Folks, this is a, an incredible piece. You bring up a lot of fascinating questions about this bomb. Julie, I want to bring up something to you, though, a question I thought about, given my background in this space. After a security sweep is conducted, which we know happened, even CNN reported, of the DNC building Kamala Harris is in, which they find this bomb that's, quote, viable out in front, there's only a couple people who are allowed access to the area after the sweep. 
It's typically staff, law enforcement, or people escorted by the staff. So if they missed it on the sweep, I mean, none of this would make sense because there would be someone clearly watching this area and it would be controlled access, right? I mean, it doesn't seem to make sense that the Secret Service missed this thing is, is kind of what I'm getting at. It doesn't. And Dan, thanks so much for having me on and, and, and clarifying my, my book title for people. But Dan, I go back a year or so ago. I think one of the first discussions we had about January 6th was about the pipe bomb. And I think you said at the time it was giving you like Russiagate vibes, like something was totally. not adding up. And I distinctly remember this conversation. It might have been two years ago, because then we are also recording on the woman who is tied to the FBI, who discovered the device at the RNC about a half hour before this device was located outside the DNC. So not only how did the Secret Service miss that, how did law enforcement in general, how did the public miss that? If you see the photo that was released, it, it's sitting, it's kind of propped up outside by those benches. It's not like it was buried behind the bushes. Right, it wasn't hidden. Right. It was very visible. So, um, and of course, the law enforcement's nonchalant response to it that we see on the video that Darren Beatty has posted. But more importantly, why was Kamala Harris there? And why is that still a completely covered up aspect of the entire pipe bomb threat? I, I want to get to that. Okay. Julie, I want to get to that, but I want your take because nobody knows more than you. I mean, no one. You guys have been just incredible on this. I don't see any scenario by which the Secret Service and military EOD explosives teams that we use. These are patriots. These are guys who literally say, I'm going to go look for a bomb and I'm going to function it if I can't find it and die for you. There is zero chance they miss it. You just said it. It was standing out there in the open. There's no way they missed it. And what I, I, I phrased the question poorly, and that's on me. Assume I'm correct, and I'm sure I am. That bomb was not there when the Secret Service sweep happened. And the only people granted access are staff, law enforcement, or people escorted in by the staff. That says to me that this was some effort to frame the MAGA crowd, and someone with connections put that damn bomb there after the sweep. There's no way it was missed. No way. There's no way it was missed. You're absolutely right. No, it, it was not put there the night of January 5th, like we have been told by the FBI. Absolutely impossible. Yeah, it can't. Because as you have so expertly covered along with Darren, if it was covered, if the bomb was dropped there the night before and the story you and I have been told by lunatics in the media, oh, I don't know, Secret Service swept and they just missed this thing that practically said bomb on it with a big red sign they missed it then julie right just show us the tape show us the video we have the camera shot there are multiple camera angles we know that just show us the shot of the guy you claim who dropped it dropping the bomb but but julie we haven't we haven't seen that right we have not seen that and i know darren Beatty has done reporting that shows that the fbi really messed with that footage that they posted about the night before, that there were key moments that were deleted. So, no, this was not set there. And, and furthermore, if you look at the position of that device between those benches propped up on dead leaves, had that been there for 17 hours, it would have been covered no with debris. 
There were right. 15, 18 mile an hour winds in D.C. It was a cold, windy week there. It wouldn't have just been sitting there with nothing on top of it had it been there for almost 24 hours. Um, no chance. So, no, absolutely no chance. Julie Kelly, she's the author of the book titled January 6th. It's a must read, and I'm putting that lightly because it's an amazing read. She is an excellent reporter. Her blog is Declassified with Julie Kelly. It's linked in my newsletter today. Julie, you bring up another great point, a point I, I shamefully missed in my coverage the day before. You note that reporters would have tracked Kamala Harris that entire day. I mean, this is a historic moment, Julie. A first female vice president who happens to be black, which neither you nor I give a flying about, but the left is obsessed with it. You're like, wow, this is amazing. They should be tracking every Kamala, how does it feel? Vice president-elect. You bring up this great point, though. Nobody in the media seems to know where the woman was. She just disappeared at 11.25 a.m. on January 6th and then doesn't show up again on the media radar till 1.15, where she says in an interview later, oh, yeah, I had to leave a meeting I was in because they told me something. They told you there was a freaking bomb! That's kind of important. <laughs> I'm sorry. The story's so crazy. Your thoughts on that? The media point was fantastic. Well, right. And, and I mean, it's not only that she's the first female vice president, the first black vice president. She was right. a sitting U.S. senator that yes. day. She was going to be part right. of the proceeding. She had attended a Senate intelligence briefing. It's not just that she was the incoming VP. She was going to be certified. She had a role in the proceedings. So why on earth did she leave at 1125, go to the DNC headquarters to do what? Make fundraising calls? <laughs> Who was she meeting with at the DNC? Uh, right. Furthermore, she stayed there until after one o'clock, which is when the joint session convened. She's going to miss this huge momentous moment in American no. history in her life. She's not walking around with the second gentleman, you know, taking uh, endearing photos uh, of the two of them moments before she makes history. And then for three years, she completely avoids the subject altogether. She never brings up her near-death experience. She was almost blown to bits by a white supremacist mama right. bomber. Right. And she <laughs> never even brings that up. Like, come Julie, on. it is insane. You write in your piece, Julie's blog. Follow her, by the way, on both Twitter and True Social. You can see the links to her blog. It is absolutely worth your time. Pick up her book, January 6th. You note another Really excellent point. You say sarcastically, perhaps too traumatized to relive this harrowing experience. Kamala Harris also didn't mention the incident the next day during a six-minute speech condemning the January 6th attack. So you're telling me again, the evil white MAGA Hitler fascist Nazis put a bomb outside to kill you when you're furthering the insurrection narrative, the government almost fell, Julie. And yet the next day you give a speech, and you're like, eh, Yesterday I was grabbing a bagel and a coffee. This thing I almost got bombed and killed, but it's nobody. Let's not talk about it. what. That's that, that, Julie. I mean, we're like because this is ins this is insane. It, right? it is no, no, and good point. Julie Jim brings up a great point. AOC wasn't even there and was doing like YouTube video. Oh my God, they're outside the door. I'm gonna die. Kamala Harris doesn't even mention this. This is bananas. This makes no sense. It makes none. And she gave this long six minute speech. It wasn't even just like a quick hit. It was this long speech talking about how the insurrectionists the day before were treated differently by law enforcement 
than the BLM rioters had in Washington in 2020. This was a very drawn out speech. She never says, hey, by the way, there's a bomber on the loose. Like, pay attention if you see someone, you know, who has like, you know, some PVC pipe and a kitchen (laughs) timer and a MAGA hat and says, I want to kill Kamala, call the FBI. I mean, she never brought it up that day, hasn't brought it up since. Not a single reporter has ever asked her about it. Not one. You know what's crazy? You got Juicy Small Yay, right? You got Juicy in Chicago who claims that some guy was going to hit him with bleach and said it's MAGA country in the middle of liberal Chicago. And the media breathlessly, he gets a Robin Roberts interview. He's crying. Oh, my gosh, they were going to bleach me and hang me. The story's fake. The Osendaros or the Stookie brothers or whatever, if you saw white men can't jump the Stookies, were chasing them. The story's made up. But we had relentless media coverage. Julie, I have got to believe, based on common sense, and I'm saying to media people, and I'm sure you would say the same thing, you think me and Julie are nuts? Fine, call us whatever you want. Fine, call me a conspiracy theorist, call me crazy. I'm just asking you to ask Kamala Harris two things. Why the hell were you at the DNC and not at the Capitol? No one wants to ask. And second, ask the FBI, why can't you just show us the picture of the video that you have of the guy dropping a bomb. Media people, Julie, would you agree? Ask those two questions and call me whatever you'd like. I'm cool. I'll develop a thick skin. Fair enough? Absolutely. <laughs> of course. And the fact that they haven't Sorry. asked her and they still to this day are not asking her and we're here <laughs> days after Darren Beatty's report and people aren't knocking down Kamala Harris's, her spokeswoman's office and saying, Oh, by the way, we kind of forgot, and this looks weird. And then the cop takes a picture of the device and gives a thumbs up to the Secret Service. And Dan, again, remember all of the text messages from all of the Secret Service agents involved in that day are gone. They were purged by Joe Biden's DHS at the end of January 2021. We can't find a single text messages between three dozen agents and officials, including the head of the Secret Service. Where are those texts? Why are they gone? And why does the media, again, not care? Man, one more question. We're talking to Julie Kelly, author of the book titled January 6th. Her reporting is absolutely priceless. Uh, Please follow her on social media. Thank you. You bring up another excellent point here. The Secret Service has a memorandum of understanding known as an MOU with the FBI. If there's an assassination attempt like this unquestionably was, the Secret Service doesn't investigate itself. They are obligated by this MOU to turn the case over to the FBI. You bring up this great point in your piece that neither Christopher Ray nor Merrick Garland, the attorney general, mentioned at all specifically that this could have killed the vice president-elect of the United States, seemingly pretending it never happened. I got about a minute left, but that's kind of crazy, too. Almost like they're trying. everybody's trying to make this thing go away. They are. Now, meanwhile, they'll make up the number of uh, that there were police fatalities that day. There were none, but Merrick Garland will lie that five police officers died, but they don't mention this near assassination of Kamala Harris. Furthermore, the head of the Washington field office, Stephen D'Antuano, fresh off the Whitmer Fednapping hoax, by the right, way, the, the same Detroit guy, FBI, the same guy, when he was questioned by Congress, he knew nothing about this. Oh, I don't know. The cell phone data is corrupted from that guy. Oh, I don't really know. This is a little granular investigation for me. What? You gave a huge press conference January 12, 2021, <laughs> saying you were going to, uh, no stone would be unturned to find the pipe bomber. 
Now you don't know they, you had better things Julie, to do? Julie, you just said it. So you're investing grandma, investigating and locking up grandma who walked in an open door at the Capitol. You did like a DNA analysis of a footprint in uh, on the Capitol steps. And yet nobody cares about a guy who tried to kill the vice president-elect. One more thing, Julie. We're talking to Julie Kelly, buy her book, January 6th. It's amazing. Thank you. Because you and I are doing the work the left and the media swore they would do. They got Ray Epps on camera saying all these things. And Mm-hmm. Aaron Beatty and others are seemingly the only ones asking questions on the right. And on the January 6th bombing plot to allegedly kill the vice president-elect, it's strange that only you, me, and a handful of people are even bothering there. We're doing their work. I mean, it's really insane. And then they call us crazy. We're trying to solve your problems, and you idiots call us nuts. Julie, you're We're here you're for the you, best. Kamala. Kamala, wait, wait, wait. we're going to do you Kamala, justice, girl. This we're is a sincere offer. Julie... She's extending a hand. Let's smoke the Elizabeth Warren peace pipe. We are here to investigate this assassination plot. Julie has all the right questions. Deputize her. She will. I am like way over. Julie Kelly, you're the best. Thanks for joining us. You I really are appreciate it. You, Thanks uh, so much. Nice Pick up her book, January 6th. Check out her blog, Declassified with Julie Kelly. Up next is the first person to count about the investigation. But first, our next sponsor, Omaha Steaks. Listen, man, I just had this for lunch, Omaha Steaks. They're tender, they're juicy. You got to check out their juicy burgers, their steaks, their air-chilled chicken and more. The food's amazing, super great price. For a limited time, when you go to omahasteaks.com slash Bongino, my listeners will get four free air-chilled boneless chicken breasts and four free rich, juicy, boneless pork chops with your order. Those are amazing. The experts at Omaha Steaks have made it easier than ever to experience heartland perfection with favorites like their legendary mouth-watering butcher's cut filet mignon. Or their butcher's cut top sirloin, a leaner, more bold steakhouse style experience. You can't go wrong with the classics either. They're ultra premium Omaha Steaks beef patties. No one comes closer to matching the flavor, tenderness, and value of Omaha Steaks. Visit omahasteaks.com slash Bongino. Get four air chilled boneless chicken breasts and four boneless pork chops free with your order. You're going to love every bite. It's an Omaha Steaks guarantee. Head on over to omahasteaks.com slash Bongino to score four free chicken breasts and four free pork chops with your order. Start loving every bite. But hurry, this offer won't last long. Minimum purchase may apply. Finally, we talked with former FBI agent, now whistleblower Kyle Serafin, who was involved in the investigation of the January 6th bomber, but was told to stand down in some respects. Check this out. Let me get to my guest. He's a great guy, former FBI agent, turned whistleblower, patriot, good man, good friend. Uh, me and him known each other a little while now. Uh, Kyle Serafin, Kyle, thanks for joining the show. We appreciate it. It's good to be here, Dan. Thanks for having me. You got his last name is S-E-R-A-P-H-I-N. I spell it out for you because you should follow him on social media. And he has his own podcast as well, which uh, congratulations, man. You've really become uh, kind of a go-to guy. I've noticed uh, most of the people in the talking headspace are starting to figure out what I figured out when we first met, that uh, you know your stuff. <laughs> so uh, good for you. Congratulations on the success of all that stuff. Um, let me ask you a couple of questions first before we get to this J6 case, the uh, infamous assassination plot against Kamala Harris. Uh, first, on this border incident, Kyle, because you, you comment on a lot of stuff, this border incident going on in Texas, which I'm referring to as the cold civil war because that's what it is. It's been getting warmer, and that's sad. Uh, Joe Biden is pushing this on us. One of the points I made earlier in the show is, you know, I, you know, like you, I've seen it from kind of different ends, you the military and others, but me from a cop and then being a Fed and then Fed dealing with the cops, Right. The, the federal government is largely, outside of the military, is largely a paper tiger. 
I mean, if Texas says to the federal government, hey, man, um, you guys are out of here and this is our border, there's really nothing the federal government can do about it if push were to come to shove. It's, it's largely a paper tiger. I think that's true. I think there are more cops in the state of Texas than there are federal agents in the entire federal government. So that's a pretty straightforward uh, math problem if you want to deal with it. I've been saying it for a little bit now, and and I don't know if it's going to get picked up. Maybe Greg Abbott heard me when I was talking about it. We need a 10th Amendment revolution in this country, which is to say that the powers that are not uh, delegated to the United States government by the Constitution, those results, you know, reside with the states and with the people. And so let's see that. And also, if the federal government is going to break its contract and the compact with the states, Someone's got to step in. We don't just we don't just go well because no one's doing it and you're not allowed to do it. Uh, you know, Texas has its own constitution as well, and it's got a pretty good history of standing up to tyranny, which is kind of neat. So, uh, you know, maybe we're going to have a return of like uh, 1835, 1836. All right, this 10th 10th Amendment revolution. It's a brilliant idea, and you've seen it. I mean, you were a federal agent just like I was, and I'm not suggesting, and I know you'd agree, the, the federal government can do a lot of damage. I mean, i.e. the January 6th gulags, the IRS targeting of conservatives. I'm not suggesting if they wanted to make your life or my life miserable, they couldn't. Oh, believe me, they can. I'm just saying on a mass scale, that's why I said when push comes to shove, and, and, I, and I'm not, folks, you know how I'm not, I'm hoping and praying this situation is resolved with Texas being on the right side of it. I'm just saying their threats are empty, Kyle. Joe Biden only has two scenarios right here. He can go in and try to lock up Texas DPS and Texas National Guard and the governor and his staff and then co-cut the barbed wire. I'm going to arrest the governor and let in illegals or he can back down and show everyone what you and I already know. That again, when 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 the the, the, mm, hits the fan, there's really not much the federal G can do. Well, how about this? The uh, the Supreme Court said that, uh, the, you know, the Border Patrol can come in and cut razor wire. So let's string some barbed wire. That's not razor wire. And that's the way the feds love to do things. They like to do it based on technicalities and things. Make them get another lawsuit to say they can move the barbed wire and then do another one when point. it's electrified wire and then just keep changing the name of the wire because that's a right. tax, you know, classic tactic the FBI would love to use. So why don't we just play right. the same game? I'd love to see people just say, listen, fine, we're going to take you absolutely literally the same way they did to President Trump. We're not going to take you seriously because you're not serious people. And let's just keep pushing this down the line. And meanwhile, we're going to try to secure our border with whatever wire we Brilliant. want. Uh, you know, next it's going to be telephone wire. We don't care. That, that's brilliant. That's right. Next, put up cargo containers. You just say cargo containers. That's a good idea. That's right. Let me get you. I, I wanted you on because you and I uh, chat a lot. I always rely on your expertise. This January 6th attempted assassination plot against Kamala Harris is one of the most uh, bizarre. I know you're doing a spaces with Tom Massey tonight, uh, which is I think will be great. And I know Darren Beatty will be there. Kyle, the story makes no sense. January 6th, the federal government, the media have been telling us was the worst incident since Pearl Harbor. We almost lost our government was an insurrection. You've heard all the talk. So we know when a device that the FBI says was, quote, viable, a bomb, was found outside of the DNC when Kamala Harris was mysteriously at the DNC. The Secret Service has a memorandum of understanding with the FBI where you used to work. Uh, which is if there is some kind of assassination crime scene attempt, they don't investigate themselves. The FBI does. So don't you think it would kind of be logical? I think you see where I'm going with this. For the FBI to interview the guy who found the bomb, considering, according to the story we've heard at least, the Secret Service and everybody else just mysteriously missed a pipe bomb sitting next to a bench out in front of a building the vice president-elect was in? 
It seems totally logical, uh, but nothing about that theme actually looks the way that you'd expect it to be. If anybody, particularly we've been revealed there was a Capitol Police officer in plain clothes. If a police officer finds a bomb, even if you've been told in the radio the last bomb was fake, which we don't know if that was sent or not, like you've been talking about, where's the comms? But let's say they find out that it was fake. Um, then you're looking at the next one. You have to assume it's real until proven otherwise. And then so is the next one. Why did they stop at two? I think uh, Congressman Matthew is spot on. When people leave bombs, they don't usually go like, well, I've done two bombs. I'm good to go. I'm going to shut it down. That was my you know, that was my quota for life. Look at all the, the real bombers. There's generally kind of a serial nature to these things unless it was something else. Because we don't really see people make a pipe bomb, drop it at a political center, get, then go do it at another political building, and then just like, you know, hang up their hat uh, undefeated, two bombs that never went off. That's just not what right. people do, do this kind of thing. It's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. Yeah. And Kyle, I've noticed you've been commenting, uh, commenting extensively um, on podcasts and, uh, and on your social media. I've been following it religiously, and you've had some great ideas on this. And you've kind of become a threat. I've noticed the Antuano and others seem to be kind of downplaying uh, your knowledge of this kind of criminal investigation into terrorism and it may, may be an effort to make you go away. I, I can only assume, but the FBI, I, I still, you know, it still has a lot of decent people who work there. I mean, the leadership is a mess um, and there are certainly a lot of people there who need to go, but they're not incompetent. I mean, I've dealt with them a lot. So they've got this device that was found in front of the DNC. Uh, it looks to be a to me, it appears to be a training device. It's got a rudimentary egg timer, wires, and a pipe. I mean, it looks to me like something you get on Amazon. If you were to put in Amazon, like, give me a fake bomb, like, that would be it. <laughs> How is it that the FBI you worked, which has a very, very good lab, couldn't pull DNA? Where's the video of them dropping the bomb? I mean, there's no way they're this incompetent. I totally agree. There's no way they're this incompetent unless they chose to be this incompetent. And also interesting, like you said, that there's kind of this uh, this movement to kind of discredit what I was about. I didn't know until yesterday that Thomas Massey dropped my name in this deposition with Steve D'Antuano, who that. was technically my boss. He was the, the guy that ran the Washington field office. And for the conspiratorial types, he was also the guy that was in charge of the Detroit field office. When the Whitmer case was going on, he got tapped because that was a great case. We all know how good that was. So sure enough, here he is wearing <laughs> Washington field office. Uh, Massey drops my name and says, hey, are you familiar with what he said? that the bombs were not viable. I reached out to my buddies this morning because I wanted to remember if I had heard it from a bomb tech source, because I've got friends like that, or if I heard it directly from the case agents that were briefing us when we were put on surveillance for a person of interest in this case. And they confirmed the, the special operations group, the surveillance team that I was on was briefed that they were not viable, not legit, not explosive that we had to worry about, which is an officer safety issue when you're doing surveillance. If the guy's running around dropping legit bombs, you've got to be aware of that. That changes your tactics and your, and your distance and all the way that you're going to do surveillance. So we were told they weren't real by the FBI. I'm not just making this stuff up wholesale. What's really cool to me, Dan, if you want to think what's funny, I didn't know he actually dropped my name in there twice. Sometimes when you're talking to somebody and you've done these interviews, I'm sure, where somebody, uh, you go there to talk to them or something, you're a cop, you're a law enforcement officer, you say something, hey, I'm here to talk to you about this. And the person tells you something that's totally off the wall, but it's not related to that, you know? I had a, an interview where I asked a guy, hey, I'm, uh, were you pretending to be a federal agent online? And he's like, oh, I thought you were here because of my Internet search history. And I'm like, well, I wasn't. <laughs> right. but, but, but I am now. now right? Exactly. <laughs> right. So I want you to see this. He goes and says, uh, this is D'Antuano in, in this actual transcription, which is out there on Thomas Massey's Twitter. And he says, uh, you know, I've seen the report from Mr. Serafin. Why does he not know what the FBI is doing in his own field office, but he knows what I'm talking about in the media? That's bizarre. 
And then the second thing is he says, I don't know what kind of bomb expert Kyle is, but, you know, we were told they're viable, uh, you know, devices. I've only got about 100 hours worth of bomb training. I've only used like C4 and, and, and uh, you know, military dynamite and some other stuff. So I only have a little bit of bomb experience. I bet you it's an awful lot more than Steve D'Antuano, which is funny. But then later on in the interview, it's about six, seven pages later in the transcript, he brings my name up out of absolutely nowhere. And to me, that is actually really strange. He says, uh, I think it's really important before people like Kyle Seraph and others say that, they're, you know, who wasn't the case agent. He says, you know, this guy uh, apparently was worried about this Metro card. This is the individual that me and my team followed. So there was an individual with a Metro card. He says, it's my understanding that we chased that down. That lead was chased down. But he said we didn't chase it down. I know that we were pulled off that. I know we never heard another thing about it. The next line that he says after, uh, after Thomas Massey requests, he says, look, I'm just the ADIC. I'm just the guy in charge everything. I'm up here and everyone else is doing their thing. So no, I was never the case agent. So he, he probably knew less about the case than I did based on what he said and all the denials that he has throughout this transcript. It's very interesting when someone brings something up unbidden to me and nobody asked you to discredit it and now you're calling attention to it. I've, I've just seen it enough times that it makes me ask more questions. I, I read that on your social media feed yesterday and uh, the whole transcript with D'Antuano and Massey. And I, I'm sorry, Kyle, I don't know D'Antuano. It's not personal, but he comes off like an amateur. He, he just he comes off like a guy completely unskilled in the rhetorical arts of a back and forth for a guy at that level position, SES in the FBI. He comes off like a total. At least Christopher Ray is good at being shady. That's not a compliment, yeah. by the way. He's not even good at it. Let me get your final thoughts on this. Um, military guy, you know the deal here. Our EOD guys, explosive ordnance disposal in the military, absolute heroes. They volunteer yep. for a finder function job. I'm going to go find a bomb or I'm going to function it and I die. Wait, you're willing to die for someone else? That's what I do. That's like their job. That's their motto, like find or function. These guys are patriots. I don't believe the story, Kyle, not for a second, that a pipe bomb outside of the DNC in open view, leaning on a bench on a pile of leaves was missed by a bunch of patriotic EOD guys during a sweep because that's who the Secret Service uses for explosive sweeps. Kyle, it doesn't make any sense. That bomb had to have been placed there just moments before the mysterious figure in the black uh, hoodie notifies the Secret Service. There's simply no way. And one more thing I'm going to throw at you. There's a PTZ camera, pan tilt zoom camera, operated with a guy 24 hours right outside the building. We know it because yep. we see the camera panning, tilting, and zooming. How did they miss this bomb being dropped? That doesn't make any sense. I got like two minutes left. Sure. So uh, my buddy Steve Baker with The Blaze now, who started off as an indie journalist, was actually in watching thousands of hours of footage. And one of the things he saw is that that camera had not moved in five days prior. So it was positioned very specifically to cut off that corner of where the bomb was eventually, eventually found. Whether that's on purpose or not, we don't know. But like, that's, just a, that's just a finding that he had. The second thing is, there's a carnival of errors that had to happen for a pipe bomb to end up where it did. Not to mention the fact that like the police officer who finds it acts like not a police officer that anyone's ever seen. I mean, you had a badge on as a, as a local and you, you also have it, you know, as a, as a fed. And when you, when you find a bomb that's potentially real, the first thing you do is you set up minimum safe. You don't go over and tell your buddies to finish their sandwich and hang out and then go take a picture with your cell phone and let little kids walk in front of it. And so that's really bizarre. And I know you've been floating the, the plan a plan B thing. What I've been kind of uh, deliberating on with this is, is plan a was actually bomb number one lure people away, lure away some stuff to, to set up the cordons, to set up the safety perimeter, et cetera. And plan B actually just got interrupted because it was done by feds 
because, you know, or it got done by people who are who are less than perfect because timing in operations is really hard to do. It's just comms get screwed up in in the heat of the battle or whatever. If this was a plan B and it just didn't go right, that's why you wouldn't have Kamala talking about it, because it was supposed to be something that didn't happen the way that it was laid out. And so they were hoping that we never found this, that Steve Baker never went and found this video camera footage that, you know, Warren Beatty didn't uh, or Darren Beatty rather didn't just like hold on to it like a dog with a bone. But it was the most terroristic thing that happened that day. How in the actual heck did we not just focus on this and put an entire squad doing this like they did with the Unabomber? Because I don't want people dropping bombs in our nation's capital. And the right. fact that they haven't found that person in three years right. seems like a big deal. Kyle, we're talking to Kyle Serafin. I, I got to run Kyle, but it's S-E-R-A-P-H-I-N. He's got his own podcast. It's amazing. Follow him on social media. I just want to leave with that thought. You and I feel the same way. If someone tried to kill the vice president-elect, why the hell are you and I talking about it on a radio show rather than our taxpayer dollar funded FBI and Secret Service figuring the damn thing out? Why are we right. doing this? With the, I thought it was an insurrection. Why are we the ones asking the questions? You idiots in the media. I got to run. I'm way over. Kyle, you'll be in a spaces with Tom Massey tonight with Darren Beatty, 7 p.m. Check it out. Thanks for your time, buddy. Appreciate it. I appreciate it, Dan. You got a good man right there. He, why the hell are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Right, Jim? Is this insane? Is anyone in the media going to join me, Kyle, Julie, Darren Beatty, Tom Massey, and go, hey, I thought it was an insurrection. Someone almost killed the vice president-elect. Anybody have any questions? <laughs> anyone? We used to, yeah, we used to call called like journalists back in the day. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this weekend podcast. As always, check out my radio show. If you're wondering where we're on, we're on on Rumble, rumble.com slash Bongino every day between noon and two and between two and three on locals. Also, we're on radio stations all around the country. Go to Bongino.com and click on Station Finder to find out where we're on near you. Hope you enjoyed the show. See you on Monday. You just heard Dan Bongino.